get ready for a parenting adventure. Welcome to Little Adventures Parenting and Beyond, the podcast that explores all things family. From child development to mental health, we've got you covered. Join us for a fun and informative discussion with expert guests and real-life parents. Let's go on an adventure. Welcome back to another episode of Little Adventures Parenting and Beyond. And today we have a special guest, Megan Cameron, with us. And she's going to talk to us about being a fertility mentor and how to help those who are struggling with infertility. So welcome, Megan. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So I guess let's start off with, can you tell us about what a fertility mentor is and why you went into the field? You may have heard about fertility coaches. Um, I feel like that's a term that's used more often. And in general, um, fertility coaches are great with offering support that um, a medical team doesn't you know, offer to um, people who are going through infertility or even just trying to conceive in general. Um, These fertility coaches generally, you know, offer that support, but they also, you know, they help you manage stress um, when you're going through this really hard time and then also are there for emotional support. So that's also really good. Um, And they also help you to build like the best foundations that you can um, for conception and for a healthy pregnancy once you do get pregnant. Um, So they're really good for that. And they can also help you navigate those alternative routes to parenthood when um, things just aren't working out the way that you had hoped. Um, So that's kind of what fertility coaches do. And I call myself a mentor because I I do those things, um, but I also do a little bit more. So the people that I work with are usually going through unexplained recurrent pregnancy loss or unexplained implantation failure. Say they're going through multiple rounds of IVF without success, and there's just no explanation for it. Um, So far, all their tests have come back normal, and the doctors can't really explain it. Um, And I got into this because of my own journey. Um, I dealt with secondary infertility and recurrent pregnancy loss. So I had already had a child with relatively minimal complications, not very many complications at all. There were some few weird things, which looking back, kind of some red flags. In general, every doctor would consider it to be a pretty healthy, normal pregnancy. But then when we were trying for a sibling, I ended up started, like it would take us six to eight months to get pregnant, but then I would lose that baby. And then we finally, you know, we figured out that my husband had an issue and we addressed that. And then we started getting pregnant, like almost every time that we tried, but then I would still lose them. And so that spiraled me into an obsession on trying to figure out why, because all of my test results were normal. The doctors were like, your uterus is beautiful. We can't like just keep trying, like it'll happen eventually. And that just bugs me because I didn't want to keep trying and experience heartbreak after heartbreak. I ended up having five miscarriages. And so I just dove into a ton of research and I found that there was a lot of gaps in care when it comes to recurrent pregnancy loss and when it comes to those unexplained cases, right? They have their standards of tests that they run, but there's actually 
a lot more to it that can be run, but you have to advocate for it. You have to advocate in order to get that testing. Someday I hope to be a part of the change in this system (laughs) and trying to get that as part of the standard protocols. But it took me years to even find out that there are specialists called reproductive immunologists, which are different than reproductive endocrinologists. And they look at the immune system in connection with the reproductive system. And it's funny because a lot of reproductive endocrinologists kind of, you know, sometimes they balk at the, the, you know, the idea of immunology and, and incorporating that. But I'm starting to see more and more doctors incorporating it. So I'm excited about that. But I had to advocate, had to do tons of research, had to advocate. And I really felt like this information needed to get out there to help these people in these specific conditions with like, you know, unexplained cases. So that's kind of how I got into it and what I do a little bit differently than just the typical like fertility coach. That's amazing because especially when especially when it comes to like secondary infertility, that's what I had. Um, yeah. First baby, little too much to drink one night, we got a baby. <laughs> Second baby, five years later, we're still working. And obviously we finally have Patrick, but we were, mine was I had chemical pregnancies. Same. And so the doctors won't call them a miscarriage. So on nope. paper, I don't have any miscarriages. But I have had over 20-something chemical pregnancies where I've Stop. had the positive pregnancy tests. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I Amanda, pregnant. I did not know that. I would get pregnant basically every month. I would get yes. my positive pregnancy test, and then two weeks later, I would get my period. And so the doctors were like, well, you just need to stop testing so early. And I was like, I'm That's trying the- to get pregnant. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm trying to get pregnant. Of course, I'm going to be testing early. I'm going to be testing yeah. all the time. I tested literally as soon as 10 days started, I just started testing. And I mean, I call them miscarriages. I don't care if they're chemical pregnancies. That was a baby in my head to me. Like, there was, was. something there. Yeah. And I remember going to the doctor, and they're like, did you have any miscarriages? Like, yeah, I've had over 20 miscarriages and they're like, oh my gosh, this is nowhere on your chart. They're like, how far along were you? And I was like, um, I was, you know, before the eight week mark, like, oh, it's a chemical pregnancy. We don't count those. And I was like, cool. I do. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. It still hurt. Emotionally, it still yeah. hurt yeah. the same. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I have my, my clients whenever, as soon as they get a positive, go in there, get blood work done mm-hmm. ASAP because you can get, so you can get record of it. Absolutely. Like, that's what I always encourage and them then, to do. Um, they kept saying, they're like, oh, we don't, you know, you're just testing early. It's probably an error. And I was like, eh, one time's an and error. Deadline. That many times, uh, not an error. No. And I ended up advocating for testing done. And my thyroid was off. I was in the normal range for thyroid. But, but not, not ideal for for me. Mm-hmm. So we got my, um, my thyroid in place. And then I went to we did I- IUI and our first round of IUI was successful at Patrick. So because my thyroid was on point and I didn't miscarry and yep. my numbers did drop, but they, um, we, we kept them. We, Patrick's here. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. But See? It's, exactly. Yeah. And they dismissed my miscarriage. They're they, like, oh, that, it's not they real. They did that to me too. Yep. They did that to me too. Um, and that's why, like I talk about chemical, I hate the term chemical pregnancy. Me too. It's not a chemical. That. I hate it. It was there. At some no. point. I hate chemical. <laughs> I'm like I call them early losses. Yeah, that's what I call. Them. Oh, like that's that. such a nice that word. Is. Yeah, we had we only had one. I like early loss. Yeah, we had one before Camila, and it's still emotional. Like you still don't, you know, you're still processing. It's still a loss, whether it's early yeah. or not. And I don't know about you guys, but I found in the in the going through it that like kind of um, I think they they hear about losses so much that they become a little bit um, cold about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I'm like, that That was my baby. Um, I even had to like point out something that a nurse had said once to my doctor because I was like, that was very insensitive. She was Honestly, a lot nicer I to me after that. I uh, 
I felt so bad about all the times I stopped telling Lee when it would come positive. I'd be like, well, let me give it a week before yeah. I tell him so I don't want to make him hurt anymore. Yeah. Because like after a while, you're just like, okay, well, this is even going to stay. <laughs> right. You you start, um, I don't know. It's like you, you kind of struggle with it. Like, do I test early? Because And that's exactly, honestly, I have a hist- I got a hysterectomy because I know my body too well at this point that I knew I was done with having kids and I did not want to accidentally go through this again because I would know what was going on because I know my body so well. So I was like, mm, I'm just going to take that option away. Yeah, that's a hard decision. <laughs> I don't want to deal though. with that. After what every going through all that, I'm like, I'm done now. I just my purpose in life is to help others get the babies that they so badly deserve. Which is amazing. Like that is so amazing that you do that because I just know how alone and isolating it is when you're going through all that. And I mean, I'm an open book. I would tell everybody. I'm like, hey, I'm going through, you know, IUI. Hey, I'm trying to get pregnant. And it's, uh, it's, it is, no matter how much you talk about it, it's still isolating because nobody else wants to talk about it. Yes, exactly. And like that, it, that's one of the things that I tell people, like the best way you can help people going through it is by listening and being open to listening. I've heard of people, um, some people saying like that they've, they've been told by family or friends or whoever to, that maybe you shouldn't, you shouldn't announce your pregnancy until 12 weeks. No, no, no. You know what that is to someone who's going through it? That tells us that you are uncomfortable with being around our mourning and our grief like yeah, don't inconvenience me don't with your inconvenience feelings. us with like it's 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 kind of it's hurtful or, like did you get that at least you have one you should be happy uh, with the one you have yeah that's that, the hard thing about secondary. I literally wanted to cry because I was like at least you had one well I do have one but my family's not done yeah like, or at least you can get pregnant or at least you yeah. know you can get pregnant it'll happen again like yeah. you'll it'll happen one like, day. I knew it'll I happen eventually. I like, was pregnant all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm great at getting pregnant. It's keeping yeah. a baby I can't do. I know, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, it's yeah, that and uh, one weird thing that I found too, I don't know if you experienced this, but when um so I know a lot of people get triggered when they get asked questions in public about like, oh, when are you having a baby or, you know, when are you guys going to expand your family? Or I always got what people would ask Brant um, or people would ask my son, like, when are you going to have a brother or a sister? When are you going to get a brother or sister? I'm like, like he knows. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was odd, but I, I tried to understand for myself personally that these people were just trying to make conversation and like, you know, I, luckily I didn't have a whole lot of family that was, you know, inserting their, you know, <laughs> advice or suggestions. So I didn't have to deal with that so much. Um, but what I did notice when I was going out in public and people were asking these questions, I know a lot of people tend to get triggered and, and then end up not wanting to share. I would always end up being an open book and kind of just sharing anyways. <laughs> and one, it either taught people to not ask that question <laughs> if it made them uncomfortable, right? Or, but more often than not, I I found that it actually created a connection point with them because usually, like, more often than not, it was surprising how many people had also been through something similar. And they're like, oh, my gosh. And so, like, me talking about it gave them permission 
to talk about it. And it was kind of cool because I made some friendships that way, um, oddly, just by being an open book. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's nice because everybody needs a support system. So yeah, like my biggest tip for people who know someone going through it basically is to like be open about you know, talking about it, letting them talk about it, you know, listening and stuff. One other thing that I know people tend to do is they're like, oh, let me know if there's anything I can help you with. That is like, I love the intention behind it. But when you're going through something so heavy, it's very hard to think of like, oh, what do I need help with? What could this person do that wouldn't be so much of an inconvenience to them? You know, I don't. And so we end up saying like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. But if they offer something specific that they can do and they feel comfortable doing, that would be so much better. I don't know. I don't know if you experienced the same same thing when you were going through it. No. No. They would really (laughs) say, can I do anything for you? I wish they would. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I I thought about? Like, so especially with secondary infertility, because we have a kid to take care of, right? Like we're going through all these hard things. We still have to take care of this child. And it's kind of hard, especially like if you find out you know, it didn't work or you lost your baby, right? And you're trying to like just get through the day and make sure that they're taken care of. You know when people get pregnant and like they start these meal trains? Yeah. Automatically, like it's an automatic thing to do meal trains for a new family. There are a family that's having a baby, a new baby, like to ease the, you know, the chaos. We should make that standard for people going through losses. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like how much – how much of a relief would that be to not have to worry about meal planning and prepping and all that stuff when you're going through something so heavy? Well, not only that, but like you're on your period, you're bleeding, you're cramping, you're not feeling good. I mean, I was always very nauseous when mine was happening. Yeah. Like it's a pregnancy. Yeah. (laughs) It's on, on top of, you know, having those pregnancy symptoms, you're also going through like what you, you talked about. Crazy. So I always never, I never understood that. I was like, wait a second. Like I would see family members setting those up for other people going through, you know, having a pregnancy and about to have a baby. And I was like, you know, that would, would be really nice. (laughs) Obviously with your position, you deal with a lot of people who have, you know, recurrent pregnancy loss and it is very emotional. How do you support couples that are going through this type of experience? The emotional sides of things. Well, it's so funny because a lot of times when people come to me, they're at this point of like, I just want to get answers. Emotions aside, I'm always there for them. And especially if I have that direct connection or contact with them, like if they choose a package where I can actually like work with them directly and go back and forth like over the six weeks or the 12 weeks, like they are, we'll be texting back and forth, um, you know, about seeing those line eyes or whatever. Um, Or if they're scared about something, then we can like talk through it. And I try to encourage them, look at different perspectives and, you know, look for the solid evidence of these things. And oftentimes we tend to spiral in our heads with things that you know, aren't actually happening, right? We're constantly, we have these this anxiety that this is happening or this is going to happen, but we don't even have any solid evidence for that happening. So I try to get them to focus on, okay, what is the evidence of what is happening now? And like to focus on the good things, like things that are progressing as they should, or um, if they're in the, st- the stage of still getting answers, we are, you know, we're talking about what tests we're looking into and what tests we're, you know, um, the doctors are running, and and there's this odd thing where in with their with recurrent pregnancy loss, especially when it's unexplained, you know something's wrong. You don't want there to be something wrong, but since there is something wrong, you know there has to be something wrong. It would feel better to know what it is. 
so you can address it, right? So like I think people are comforted just in going through that process of knowing that they're doing something different to try to get the answers. And once they do have answers, they feel so much better about moving forward because they have um, they have a reason or they have like a, a reason for why this was happening and a potential step that they can make in changing it and in um, treating it. So I think that is like really comforting to people um, the most. The, the whole process of going through it before getting any answers and you're just going through the standard protocols, it's so hard because like the, you know there has to be something wrong and the doctors are just keep saying like, oh, your tests are normal and, you know, just keep trying. You're, you know, it'll happen eventually. Like I said, like what was happening to me, that it's so common and it's frustrating because you know there's something wrong. So I think getting people onto that track of knowing that they're going to get um, or knowing that they're doing everything they can to find those answers um, and to getting a medical team that is actually supportive in finding those answers, I think is really beneficial. Um, but also therapy. I really encourage therapy and not just any therapist, but someone who knows or who has experience with working with women who have gone through this. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to go through someone who, a therapist who hasn't really experienced this personally or worked with people who have experienced it because sometimes they make those triggering comments, Yeah, (laughs) you know? And so it's kind of a a sensitive subject. So finding a really good therapist is really good. And then also, you know, doing things like encouraging them to keep the spark alive in their relationship because you get stuck in those ovulation windows and... Yeah, I hate <laughs> you know, that. it becomes a routine and that's no fun. Right. So you got to, you know, keep the spark alive and, you know, go to on an axe throwing date when you find out some bad news or something, you know, like, let it really do I things that. like the that. Ovulation, the ovulation timing. I used to remember for one month, I was like, you know, what? we're not going to try this month. Just don't even touch me for the whole month. Like, because I was like, this is awful. Like, it's not even fun anymore. Exactly. It yeah. does. It takes the fun out of it. And it, it, I, it definitely impacted our relationship for some time. Like there's no, it, it was hard not to let it affect your relationship. I encourage them to make sure to take time for themselves and doing something that they love, focusing on something outside of fertility, you know, doing something that you love creative or um, like sports or whatever it is, like getting out and doing something that's just for you um, that isn't related to fertility, I think is really helpful too, because we kind of become consumed. I don't know about you, but I did. Like I said, I was obsessed. I was a lunatic. I bought um, on you on Amazon those like a hundred pack of pregnancy tests oh, yeah. that no person should ever have. I bought like seven of them. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I, I had <laughs> so many pregnancy tests and so many ovulation tests because I have PCOS. So I also never ovulated at the same time. Oh, so you were testing all the time. Every single day. Oh my gosh. Every single day. They have those trackers now. They have like cool trackers. Not two years ago they didn't. No, I know. (laughs) I know. We were going through at the same time, I feel like, and they they did not have that. I'm like, they have so much cooler stuff now that would be would have been so helpful I literally had a glass cup in my bathroom because I was so tired of wasting all the plastic cups so I had a glass cup that was my pee cup that nobody was supposed to touch (laughs) and every morning I would wake up and I would pee and put my little thing in because it wasn't like the like you had to dip it it was a dipper one um because they were like the cheap pregnancy stuff oh yeah we have to get the cheap ones actually you know I um to be honest in going through this as a fertility mentor I now recommend 
the cheaper ones most often because I've had some crazy experiences happen to my clients with the, you know, the first response early yes. results ones. This would happen recently. There, I had one client who was taking the test and it was a very clear line. It was not a questionable indent line. Like anybody could see it. My husband could see it. You know, he he never saw the ones that I saw like at the very beginning. Yeah. <laughs> But he would see that and say, yeah, that's positive. She went and would get her blood tested and it would be like nothing, like less than five. That's so, weird. so they were very – they were faulty, definitely faulty. Hmm. I think it's – I think it might be related to the getting it off of Amazon. You know, they have like third-party sellers and stuff. So I'm pretty sure it's the Amazon ones that tend to have the issues. Hmm. I, I had ordered some off of Amazon back in the day and they had some – they looked weird. They looked – not real like something was wrong something was off of them um so I never bought them from there again but I think that's the issue but yeah because of that I tend to recommend the cheaper ones they are all they've always been pretty reliable in my opinion specifically the easy at home brand I think that's the one that I got it's like (laughs) rainbow colors I Um, think they're like pink pink and blue the ones I was using I don't know I know it was like a hundred of them for like twenty dollars Yep. And that's what I spent all my money on. <laughs> so with that, what are some natural ways that a couple can help boost their fertility and possibly increase their chances of conceiving? Okay. So if we're talking about like the general public mm-hmm. and not necessarily recurrent pregnancy loss and unexplained infertility, then, you know, things that could help is definitely um, you know, eating as clean of a diet as you can. I always say within reason because you can't be perfect about it. Like I feel like it's pretty much impossible these days. Exercising regularly, staying well hydrated, um, eliminating toxic products in the home that can disrupt our hormones and whatnot. Um, these things all kind of help with reducing inflammation and balancing hormones. But f- in general, for the women that I've tend to work with these things don't usually do the trick because um they usually one have already done all these things and they're still struggling um but two there's usually a, a medical condition that's underlying that needs to be addressed so with that how does stress play into infertility oh gosh um stress <laughs> um infertility like st- causes stress <laughs> that's what i was gonna say i'm like what's the what comes first the chicken or the egg <laughs> Like, honestly, I feel like our lives and modern lifestyles nowadays are just so stressful in general. Like, it's there's no doubt in my mind that um, stress has played a factor in what we're seeing happen in these situations. Now, I sometimes wonder if worrying about stress affecting your infertility or affecting your fertility just adds even more stress. Mm -hmm. You're like, I gotta, I gotta not stress out. I gotta not stress out, right? But that that's causing now you're more stressing stress. out yeah right you're stressing out about not stressing out like seriously though i it's in my mind there's a high possibility that our lifestyles and the stress that's involved has been a huge contribution to the fertility struggles that we're we're seeing because it's known that stress can increase you know inflammatory activity and that is what triggers autoimmune activity and that's what a lot of things or that autoimmune activity is you know, one of those things that is causing a lot of these issues, especially with recurrent pregnancy loss. That's our system being, our immune system being overactivated by stress, by, you know, these toxic products, like so many things 
at play that I'm sure are contributing. So with that in mind, obviously, yeah, if we can minimize stress, that's going to help. But I feel like it's not going to – like you would have to do a complete overhaul and I feel like it would take forever in order to get – to backtrack all the stress that you've had in the last how many years, right? I feel like it's not a good short-term result. Like long-term, yeah, I think it could help. But I think, you know, we're all – generally speaking, women going through this are – trying to get pregnant now. They don't, they, <laughs> they have um, a, a clock, you know, ticking that they want to get pregnant. They don't want to spend forever trying to, you know, heal themselves. So we need to minimize our stress in order to make it the situation not any worse. But I feel like there's also generally issues that we're going to have to address if it's already gotten to this point. So getting to that point, the couples that are considering, you know, IVF or IUI, what um, advice do you have for those couples that are going in to be um, the best advocate for themselves? So my biggest piece of advice for those going into IUI or IVF is mostly for those who whose reasons are unexplained. Um, I think there's conditions or situations where it makes sense to go into IUI and IVF. It's pretty much your only option. But for the unexplained situations, this is what I suggest. I suggest going into these procedures or these treatments, I'd encourage you to cover your bases and request some specific blood work before doing it. Now, these these tests are not typically run. REs don't typically offer this before IVF, but I think it is reasonable to ask for it. Um, you're already investing so much money and so much emotions into this, and you're going to pay all this money. You definitely want to cover your bases, and I think it is a reasonable request to do so. And if the doctor doesn't allow it, I would be questioning if I want to use that doctor. And I have a list of this blood work that you can request, mm. um, and you can get it at www.journeywithconfidence.com slash checklist. Um, And it's a blood work checklist. And basically these tests, tests for all these conditions that are underlying conditions that can increase your risk of implantation failure or miscarriage, which could be leading to your reality right now, your experience. Getting these tests done and it's just blood work. So it's not like a big procedure or anything like that. And if you have recurrent pregnancy loss, the doctors can code it with that diagnosis and most health insurance will cover it, even if you're at a fertility clinic. So it's worth asking for, um, especially with recurrent pregnancy loss. If you get these tests done and you get results back that show something and you're going to go into IVF, you can make sure that that condition is treated for in order to you know, increase the chances of success with that IVF round. I don't understand personally why they don't just do this automatically with any unexplained case because I feel like it would increase the chance of success like across the board. Mm-hmm. But um, definitely if you're doing – if you're going through recurrent pregnancy loss or unexplained um, infertility and you're going into IVF, I think this is the one thing that you can do for yourself to really cover all of your bases and increase your chances of, su- of success with that specific IVF round and hopefully have to hopefully be able to avoid you know IVF failure and multiple rounds of IVF. Yeah, I don't know why some of this stuff isn't just protocol. Like you come in, you have a miscarriage or a chemical pregnancy, early loss. I, I just I don't get why you just don't walk into the doctor and be like, okay, we run A, B, C, or D. You have a stroke. There's a protocol. We run this test, this test, this test. Why is it not the same? I feel like um, us as a whole 
really drop the ball when it comes to fertility and any kind of women's reproductive system issues because they, I know I had an issue with my doctor, my first doctor, that I was secondary infertility and, and recurrent pregnancy loss. And they did all these tests and the insurance didn't cover it because they don't cover fertility treatment. They coded it all wrong. They so coded it wrong. They did. So I'm like, this isn't fertility treatment. This is because I've already had losses. And recurrent pregnancy loss is a medical, medical diagnosis. Yes. Yes. So I had to go fight with the insurance to go fight with the doctor. Like, oh, no, we coded it right. And I was like, no. And I owed like six grand. And I'm like, I, I had to pause our baby making process journey because we didn't have enough money to continue to pay for all this. Thankfully, next time around, we found a new doctor who was very, very helpful and knew how to do it the right way. But six grand down the drain because they wouldn't listen to me when it was coded wrong. And the insurance company was saying it was coded wrong. And they were trying to try to get me to do all these things instead of like the one thing that would find out what was going on with me. And I wonder sometimes if some like clinics are just, they just run it the same for everyone and they don't bother to change that diagnosis code when it can really make a significant difference for the the patient. Um, I know um, my second doctor was fantastic. I walked in. I said, this is what's happening. He made a list of what we were going to do and the pricing for each one. And he goes, this is if insurance covers it. This is if insurance doesn't cover it. We're going to do everything we can to cover it. These are grants available that will cover it if um, your insurance doesn't. And we need to apply for grants if we have to do I, uh, IVF. And here's more. And we also have this is one of our payment plans if we have to go to the IVF route. So before I even before he even looked at me, he gave everything laid out and all the tests he was going to do to find out why this is happening so that because again mine was I kept I couldn't stay pregnant so we had to figure out why I couldn't stay pregnant yeah and he really once my body was in the right mode it took one round of IUI which is unheard of after somebody who's been trying to get pregnant for five years and he Patrick cost me six (laughs) hundred dollars pre-birth after birth we're at like 1.5 million I think right now is what he's cost me so far but (laughs) he's a fighter (laughs) I I love him to death I love him more than anything but he is he's expensive (laughs) he's your little expensive miracle he is oh boy that's funny um one thing I wanted to note you were talking about the the tests that they were running for you now and wondering about the standard protocol. Recurrent pregnancy loss is technically defined as three losses before 12 weeks, I think it is. And they do have a recurrent pregnancy loss panel that the doctors will run. And they ran that for me for the first at the, you know, um, I think it was like my third loss. My doctor may have run it even at my second loss. I can't remember exactly, but that was my OB. But this recurrent pregnancy loss panel is like minimal compared it's, to yeah, what it's just basic hormones like your progesterone level and they they check for anticardiolipid antibodies yeah. which is part of antiphospholipid um syndrome that's it there's like there's so much more that can be tested for there's there's so much more there's way, way more antibodies that can be tested for there are genetic blood clotting conditions that can be tested for and one of the things with recurrent pregnancy loss is that you know pregnancy is a hypercoagulable state Thanks to um, evolution, our bodies tend to they they tend to clot quicker in order to keep us from bleeding out during birth. But if you have any of these genetic blood clotting conditions that can increase your risk of clots, it might be showing up only when you're pregnant because of that that state with the hormones causing 
clotting. And so you may not know that you have a clotting clotting condition because you've never had a blood clot, right? right? But it could be showing up when you try to get pregnant and you're just not realizing it. And these doctors aren't testing for this necessarily. And some of them are even, I want to say newer. I mean, we're just learning more about them right now. So it's kind of controversial. And that's mine in particular, um, the one that I have. And so there's not a whole lot of studies out there. um, But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And it doesn't mean that it's not affecting things. I really had to fight for my I had to fight for my testing and I had to fight for my protocol. The doctors told me that it wouldn't make a difference. um, But I was like you and I would lose them early. And I felt like something was happening before my positive pregnancy test. Um, I felt like something was happening at implantation. And I was like, I need that support earlier. And so I finally got one doctor to allow me to take the treatment earlier because the first time I tried the treatment for my once we found my answer I ended in another loss because they made me wait until I had a positive pregnancy test in order to start it I had done tons of research I knew what reproductive immunologists would do in order in my situation but I couldn't afford a reproductive immunologist I already had a child like we just couldn't afford to do that because there's only a handful of them in the whole U.S. so you have to like travel or you would at that time you had to travel to see them and it was just really expensive and their wait lists were really long So I was trying to do everything I could to get the same kinds of treatments here with my local doctors. And that's kind of what I help people do. (laughs) They told me it wouldn't make a difference. I will tell you what, it worked the first time I tried it. The very next month when I tried it, I got my rainbow baby. And I'm sorry, but I do not think it's coincidence after five losses. (laughs) Do you feel like this same testing would be purposeful for people who are suffering primary infertility just as much as secondary or is it more for secondary infertility because you know that you were able to carry to term and then now you're struggling with something no that's a good question um I think it is definitely useful for people who are going through primary, especially if it's unexplained. So if they haven't found an answer yet, definitely something I would look into. Well, here's something to think about too. People who are going through primary infertility, they may have had multiple losses. And not known it if they're not not testing early enough. It's so So true. So in theory, I could have gotten pregnant so many times. But I was never, ever testing. And I was like, oh, my period just late. I have an irregular period. Yep. So for me being one or two, like I have, you know, I'm heavy. I have PCOS and I have thyroid issues. My period is never on time. So me miss being one or two weeks late, it's no big deal. I don't even think about it. But could I have been pregnant that month? Possibly. Do I not buy any more pregnancy tests ever again because – I can't, don't need that stress in my life. Absolutely. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yep. you know, I just, if, I, if it's two months and I haven't gotten a period, I was like, oh, I probably should take a pregnancy test. Yep. But that's that's like, actually that's one now. of the questions that I ask my clients because I want to know, like, they say they haven't had any losses. I'm like, okay, so when do you normally start testing? Because technically you might have and we just don't know it yet. Um, but it's also funny about how you mentioned the clotting. So, that is something that I'm going to actually have to look into because my placenta clotted off with Patrick. I can – yeah. And I, have, I delivered him at 28 weeks. Yeah. And my placenta These issues are off. definitely related to um, preeclampsia, health I had syndrome, pre-eclampsia. all of those I, things. They're all connected, all connected to the blood clotting and the autoimmune stuff. And I will say too, you have PCOS. PCOS is linked to the condition that I have, which is plasminogen activator inhibitor-1. 4G, 5G polymorphism. I'm 4G, 4G, so I have two of the variants. Say that five times fast. Yeah, right? I call it Pi 1. I don't know what the doctors call it, but that's what I call it. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so that's the one that's kind of controversial because there's not a whole lot known about it, but the reproductive immunologists have really kind of worked on things with it. And it's 
it's linked to PCOS. So I always tell people if I, you know, a client that I'm working with, if they have PCOS, I kind of say, hey, you're definitely going to want to get tested for this one because this could be causing implantation issues as well. Yeah, that's wild. Because like when you were talking about the clotting, I was like, oh, my placenta yeah. completely clotted off with Patrick. Did you have anything weird happen with your first? I don't remember. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, it's funny to say I was 24 at the time when I was pregnant with TJ. Yeah. And he was just like, I worked and I was in nursing school and I worked around the clock. So I mean, I always felt like junk, but I never, I was too busy to know. Yeah. Were you kind of oblivious? Because for me with my first, I was oblivious. Like the thought of losing my baby didn't even cross my mind. I did bleed with him. I had Braxton Hicks contractions and I did bleed with him a lot. But I was always – I mean I worked in the hospital. So like I always had ultrasound on my belly. But I was – I worked night shift. I would sit there. They would all ultrasound my belly and do the – Oh, that's nice. It was wonderful. So I was like, oh, we're solid. The reassurance you need anytime you want. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> well, it's funny because I wasn't in the hospital. I quit my job while I was working when I was pregnant with Patrick, but I had a Doppler at home because I'm nuts. Yeah. Oh, I and, am too. Um, I had before one. I delivered him on Tuesday and on Saturday night, I was like, his heartbeat doesn't sound right. And then on Sunday night, I'm like, his heartbeat definitely is not right. And then Monday morning, I was in the hospital getting ready to deliver. They let, let me keep him for two extra days to get the medicine in. But wow. I was so grateful that Did I had Did you the go in because you saw that? Something was wrong? No, the high-risk OB doctor Okay. on yeah. um, Monday. And I was like, yeah, I'll wait till Monday. It's 8 a.m. It's not a big deal. Like, I just want to sit in the emergency room all weekend. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they put me in to deliver that day because my placenta caught it off. But I could tell the heartbeat was wrong. It was wild. Like, I was, I'm was, i a lunatic, but I'm glad I'm a lunatic because that you saved know, my son's life. There, Yes. <laughs> like, I This – seriously, you have to advocate for yourself. You have – like, I will preach it from the mountaintops. Like – Do not be afraid to advocate for yourself. And if you don't know how, contact me because I will help you because it seriously can make all the difference. Uh, It's 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 crazy. Yeah. I'm so proud of you for like monitoring and doing something about it. I mean, nobody was taking that baby away from me. I I worked so hard. (laughs) I have, you know, I, I always say the people who are going through infertility and recurrent pregnancy loss are the fiercest mama bears there are. Seriously. You don't want to mess with somebody who's lost their baby. like, <laughs> Or even had to work so hard to get their baby. Like, mm-mm, do not. <laughs> do not mess with us, right? Yeah, don't cross our paths. Oh, and I've had to advocate so much even like with my kids, you know, once they've been born. There's, yeah. there's so many things. Like, so this skill of advocating for yourself is like – I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I never knew how much it would – impacts me for the rest of my life. It's crazy. Yeah. And that's just amazing that you have Journey with Confidence to help people who can't really advocate for themselves or don't really know what to say to doctors or where to start looking and stuff like that. Like it's amazing that you have this all set up so that you can help so many people. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. I truly feel like I was meant to go through what I went through in order to be able to help other people because there's Like so many people, when you go to your doctor, you kind of expect that they'll know everything. Like they'll know the answer, but they're human and they don't know all the answers. And there's a lot of stuff that they weren't taught or that they, you know, they don't specialize in. Recurrent pregnancy loss, for example, is only 1% of the population. That's like for an OB, like you only see one person out of a hundred that 
is going through this. Like they're not going to, they don't have all their attention on that. Doctors like they can be amazing, especially if you find a gem of a doctor who is willing to work with you and listen to you and not look down on you if you're, you know, doing your own research or Googling things. I'm sorry. Google can be a trigger for some, but if you know how to use it properly, I have it can help so you. many medical journal articles. Yes. That is what I go. I go and I, cause um, Google, you could pull up medical journals and Google that's what Scholar. I would do. Yeah. Google Scholar. That's it. Thank you. I couldn't think what it was. Yeah. <laughs> I have spent hours of my life on Google, probably days of my life on Google mm-hmm. Scholar, reading medical journals, reading medical cases that are similar to mine. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because since I've been dealing with fertility and since I've been or infertility and realizing that doctors don't know everything. My doctors, I, I warn them when I first meet them, like, I'm nuts <laughs> and I'm sorry. And I'll come in. I'm like, hey. I wouldn't even apologize. Is- I wouldn't even say oh. I'm <laughs> – I do. I have to warn them because my oh my gosh, my doctor now, my my prior doctor, she um, had a baby and she decided to stay home. So I had to get a new doctor. Ah. And um, she recommended this – gentleman. And so I met him and I was like, I hope she told you about me. And he was like, oh, she, she informed me of, of you. And I was like, good, I'm crazy. And here's everything I need you to test me for right now because A, B, C, and D. Cause I, I, I'm, I'm not, I texted him the other day, probably like two weeks ago. And I was like, Hey, um, I'm a little colder than normal and my hair is starting to fall out. So I think my thyroid's off. So can you go run that? He's like, oh yeah, I'll send it into lab. Just walk in when you want to. Because oh, that's awesome. the kind of lunatic I am now because I know my that's, body so well. And that's now not I'm gonna lunatic. Go, now I'm going to go try to find all those tests. Be like, um, I made a friend and she told me I have to take these tests because I have a clotting disorder. Oh, like, that's It's funny because I actually created a – so I've, I've kind of created a course on like advocating for answers um, so that way people – That's awesome. Who can't – afford 101 fertility mentoring can kind of do it themselves. But I also pulled out one of those resources from that course and I sell it individually. And it's literally a list, a a chart of all the conditions that can contribute to miscarriages and the testing that goes along with it that you can ask your doctor for, but also on some of them where where it's available, ways to test for them outside of your doctor. So sometimes, like for example, there's some conditions like MTHFR is one of them that you can potentially look at your raw data from Ancestry and 23andMe, right? Mm-hmm. And so I have that on there. <laughs> that you can't use for diagnosis. They say that, you know, it's all over as disclaimers. Um, you can't use it for di- for diagnosis, but you can use it as a way to see like, is this a route that's worth taking in advocating Because it's a lot of work to advocate. It is a lot of work. Like you've already done Ancestry and you're like, hey, let me see if this is even something I should even consider looking into. It can save you some trouble or tell you if it's, oh, yeah, I really do need to go ask for this testing kind of thing. So there's that's amazing that you have that because as somebody who typically most people who are going through that secondary infertility are still on the younger side. So you haven't had all this life experience. You haven't, you know, had years of going Or you don't have friends who have gone through it yet. Right. You know, you're still very young where everyone's still maybe not even married yet. So to that fact that you're available to be a mentor to them, to help guide them, to just be a friend when you need some. Because like I just remember getting some of my lab work back and thankfully, you know, I went to nursing school. I am very heavily educated Mm -hmm. on a lot of this stuff. And sometimes I would be like, oh, I don't understand this. And two of my aunts are nurses. So I would call them and be like, this is what I think it is. 
but am I right? And they would like walk me through what it meant. But I know if you didn't have that educational background, this, you wouldn't know what to ask. You wouldn't know. It's so much medical jargon. It is. They make it so difficult to understand sometimes. Yeah. And that's what I try to do. I try to put it into plain English because I really do. I really want to cut down people's journeys. Like I don't want you to go through three losses. I don't want you to go through. I had one client who went through 14 losses. Some of the stuff that I'm just blown away, honestly, by some of the things that like that hasn't been done. I'm like, wait a second. Like this is just. Yeah, it's crazy. So like I want to cut down on people's heartache and I want to cut down on their time. Like we shouldn't have like you shouldn't have to go through three years, four years, five years, whatever it may be. And all these losses, you know, to find answers and still. I mean, some of these doctors are still not even running any of these tests because it's again, it's just not standard protocol. It's and then what you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. Like a lot of these doctors don't even know sometimes. So like sometimes we're actually even educating the doctors and like we need to find these doctors who are good doctors who are willing to listen and to, um, you know, actually do research when they don't know. So it's funny that you say that about educating the doctor. So there's two medicines that you can take uh, when you're – before you're doing IUI to help with ovulation. One is Clomid and the other is um, – Letrozole. Uh, letrozole. Yeah. So uh, people with PCOS typically do better on letrozole mm-hmm. and not Clomid. So I went into my doctor and this was after the five-year mark. Like we were trying to get pregnant for five years. This was right before we started um, again with Patrick to get Patrick. And I was like, look, I'm not – I'm done messing around. I want letrozole. And they're like, I've never given letrozole before. And I was like, well, you better find out because that's what I want. So <laughs> she was like, well, I, I've never given – I don't know how to dose it. And I was like, well, somebody in this practice does. Like, go ask your friends. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not taking – they're like, well, I'll give you a prescription for Clomid. I was like, no, I want letrozole. Yeah. Clomid, I have – there's going to be too many side effects. It doesn't work well at people with PCOS. I want letrozole. And so she had to go reach out to her other colleagues. And she finally found one who felt comfortable dosing me at letrozole. And yeah. <laughs> but I was like, no, don't care. But she's like, since – she, like, thanked me for it. She was like, since you brought that to my attention, I have done so much research on letrozole, and we've had such more success with other patients. Huh. She didn't even know about it. is like good for like the egg quality and I was you don't get those too. bad hot flashes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough, when I was uh, when I was on the cycle that I you know conceived my daughter, I had missed half my doses of the letrozole. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I got to take it. I don't think that was a, a big portion of our journey because or a big you know uh, necessary part of our journey because. Yeah. I had been on it for a year and I was still, you know, losing them. But <laughs> that's crazy though. We have to educate our doctors and we can't be afraid. So sometimes I feel like people get stuck in this mindset of they can't question their doctors because their doctors are authority. They um, they know everything. And it's just not true. Like they're human just like us. Just like any job, there's good ones and there's bad ones and there's mediocre ones and everything in between. And we got to find the good ones. Do you know what's so funny? My grandma always used to say – um, what do you call the person who graduated first and last of the class in med school? Doctor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that was always kind of put in the back of my head. You know, you could be number one, you could be number 257. Like, they're still the same title. But I know, I think it's really hard though. And I know I 
gained my voice. I'm not very shy or timid by any means, but it's like when you get a bad haircut and you're like looking at your haircut and you're like, oh, thank you. And then you leave, you're like, this is the worst haircut of my life. I'm like, I hate it. I feel like a lot of people get, feel that way when they're at doctors. They're like, well, we're going to do this, 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 and this. And you're like, okay, Uh thank you. And then like, as soon as you get home, you're like, oh, I should have asked for this. I should have said this. I should have done that. So I that's what I work with. It's great to prepare them. Yep. We work with that, work towards that. And that's one thing, like coming up with questions and being prepared for these appointments is so crucial. Like you almost have to do research beforehand to come with, you know, come with those questions prepared. You know, I'm also never afraid to message them afterwards. (laughs) I love my chart. The fact that you can message them all the time afterwards. Like I love how all the doctor's offices has that well, yeah. most doctor's offices have that opportunity to message them after because I totally do. <laughs> yeah, same. I mean, it's 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 necessary nowadays, I feel like. But yeah, you have to just be able to ask and just understand that they're human. I feel like it's a very important mindset shift and that they don't know all the answers. And ultimately, you want someone that will work with you and not like not belittle you for doing your own research or questioning them. Like if they're going to be questioning, if they're, if they get upset with you questioning them and they can't give you confident answers that, you know, make you feel good about the direction that you're taking, like you really need to get a new doctor because that's their job. Megan, with all that being said, when with our listeners who well, most of them are moms. Let's be real here. So with our listeners who are either dealing with um, secondary uh, infertility or, you know, fertility loss, what are um, what's a message of hope that you want to leave for them who are struggling with that? And what are ways that they can get in contact with you if they would like, you know, your assistance with this journey? So, yeah. Um, so my biggest piece of advice, and it's probably been the theme of the last few minutes, is to not be afraid to advocate for yourself. Do everything that you need to do in order to feel confident in your journey. Having that mindset that doctors, you know, are amazing people. There are amazing doctors out there, but they're also human and um, they can still learn things. And you want to advocate to have, you want to build a team of supportive doctors who will help you and work with you and not make you feel bad for questioning things or researching because they want to make you, you want to be feel, you want to feel confident in the direction you're taking. Don't ever be afraid to speak up if you feel like something is off and never be afraid to ask for help when you need it. You're already investing so much time and emotions into this journey. So you want to make sure that you're taking care of yourself by investing in the help that you deserve to minimize the time and heartache in your journey. You want to, you know, keep your village of supportive family and friends close to you and don't be afraid to ask them for help. And if you're struggling through the journey and you need someone to support you without adding, hire a fertility coach. And if you are struggling to advocate for yourself and you don't know what to ask for or definitely reach out to me, I can be found um, at journeywithconfidence.com. And again, that you can grab that blood work checklist at journeywithconfidence.com slash checklist. And place that I hang out the most these days is TikTok at Journey I with Confidence. So <laughs> And I will link all your social channels below so that everybody can find you really easily. Perfect. Awesome. And I want to thank you guys for putting this resource together. Little adventurers, like seriously, that's so awesome. I've been so proud of you watching you create this resource for people. I wish I lived closer to you guys. (laughs) 
<laughs> Me too, please. <laughs> Our goal is to have little adventures next to every area as possible. Just spread it all out. That would be amazing. So little adventures in Pineville, so little adventures in Raleigh, little adventures. Let's, let's go everywhere. Yeah, it's so needed. It's I'm so happy you guys are doing this. It's so awesome. And you guys have really like just taken off and ran oh. with it. So I'm so – like that's that's awesome. Lunatic right here. <laughs> <laughs> I need a little bit of your lunatic. <laughs> yeah. I think everybody wants to kill me right now, but it's okay. You're like the energizer bunny. <laughs> like you just don't – stop like I don't know when you turn off but it just you just keep going <laughs> you know what either. that's your strength it is. live it up like that is your it strength is. thank you so much for doing this today like you were you're phenomenal and you're really helping a lot of people and this is a really wonderful conversation oh thank you I enjoyed it as well so thanks for having me well thank you Megan so much for being on with us today it was such a pleasure to talk to you and I will link all of Megan's social channels her website and the very important checklist in the bottom below tune in next week for our next episode of Little Adventures Parenting and Beyond thank you so much Megan for joining with us